What's up everybody, Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast and I'm excited you're here today because today we have an incredible guest. In fact, he is one of my favorite mentors ever. He has changed my life dramatically and I am so excited to share him with you. Today we have Ryan Dice on the show and he is the founder and CEO of The Scalable Company and digital marketer and a founding partner at Scalable Equity which is a venture equity accelerator that builds and acquires B2B media and software brands. And really, honestly, that isn't even remotely as cool as he is. So we'll cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really good to be here. Glad we were finally able to connect. I know. it's It's been a long time coming, and uh, and it's always fun when we can get on and do these kind of conversations. I, I am so excited because, as I said in the intro, I get to share with everybody, somebody who's influenced me so much on my journey. And honestly, I, I just, I didn't even know when I first got started in the, in the business, I didn't even realize who you were. And then little bits, the more I went along my journey, you just keep showing up. You just kept coming into my world and, and changing the way I think, changing the way I look at things. And I, I can't tell you or the audience how much I've learned along the way from you. Uh, you are just incredible. Uh, you know, so many know you, as a best-selling author, uh, as the founder of Digital Marketer. But I want to dig into a little bit of the backstory. And, and if anybody's researched you or looked at some of your backstory on your on the uh, website or anything, uh, there's a whole lot back there about the creation of your e-commerce websites leading to the writing your way out of debt on a napkin, right? I want to hear more about that story. So can we kind of dig back into the history there for a bit? Yeah, and we're going back a long way now. I mean, I'm <laughs> used to be telling my history was pretty quick. I'm getting old, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, we got to go all the way back to 1999, right? When I first started uh, college, I was freshman at the University of Texas. And uh, yeah, pretty early on in college, met a girl, decided uh, this is probably the woman that I'm going to marry. Um, I didn't tell her that because that's kind of creepy. But, um, <laughs> but now I knew, right? Like I had this sense, I remember at a very young age, I had this sense that, that I should probably make money. Like I, I should figure that out. And, and I don't know why, but, but I just had this entrepreneurial spark, this entrepreneurial energy. And it's why I believe, you know, entrepreneurship, it's, it's, it's not like a, it's not a job, it's a calling, right? It's something right. That, that's kind of there and it was always there for me. So, um, so anyway, I, I met this girl and I, I knew I needed to get kind of serious about life, which is a funny thing to be thinking. I was 19 years old at the time. Um, and I said, I need to, you know, I've got a part-time job. I'm going to school, but I need to make extra money. I need to, I need to start, I need to start a company. You know, when you think about this, this is like 1999. And so it's the peak of the dot-com bubble. So I'm like, I want to get in on a dot-com. You know, I want to get on a dot Like I'm going to the University of Texas in Austin. You know, you're hearing about Michael Dell and all these people who become Dellionaires when that company went public. It's like, I want to get in a business like that. Well, shockingly, no one was really wanting to hire, um, you know, a 19-year-old kid who didn't know anything about anything. And so <laughs> I decided, why not just try to 
start something of my own. And where it began, I actually, the first, the very first thing that I did, I taught myself web design and I kind of pitched myself to, as a web designer. And I figured this was a good way to make some extra money honing my skills. And my very first client, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, my very first client was a uh, lactation consultant, oh my gosh. Um, which, you know, now father of four kids, um, you know, I, I think lactation consultants are amazing. Um, right. but certainly at 19, it was a little bit awkward to build a website for a lactation consultant. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, you know, right at the end when this job was coming to a close, you know, the economy shifted. Her husband lost his job. She had to go back to work and she really had to kind of close down her practice. And she's like, I'm sorry, I don't need the website anymore and I can't pay you. Oh, this geez. sucks. Yeah, I've already done the work. This really sucks. She was like, she's like, but here's what I'll do. I had started writing this book on how to make your own uh, baby food. Because, you know, after I'd helped my clients, you know, figure out all the nursing and then ultimately they weaned, I still wanted help them with childhood nutrition. Well, I don't really have a use for this book anymore. So here you can take it. And I remember thinking at the time, like, what the heck am I supposed to do with an, you know, an ebook? Like, and we didn't even call it an ebook. It was like a PDF on right. um, how to make your own baby food. What the heck am I supposed to do with this? And so I was like, but it was all like, I was like, okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Bye. Good luck. Um, and so just offhand, I started doing some research. I wonder if there's people out there actually looking for how to make baby food online. And sure enough, back then, you know, Google would tell you how, how many people were searching for folks. Their data was far more open than it is right now. And right. Um, wow, there's a lot of people looking for this. And you know, there's not really anything out there talking about this. I wonder what would happen if I just built a very simple website sold a copy to this book on how to make your own baby food. I wonder what would happen, you know, get a PayPal link, sell it for 14 bucks. I wonder if anybody would buy it. And so that's what I did. Didn't have anything else to do. Stayed up late one night, wrote a very simple website, put an order link at the bottom for 14 bucks. Wow. And I remember waking up the next morning, I'd made like two sales. Wow. And, you know, cause back then you could optimize for the search engines. You can get ranked pretty quickly. I was like, Whoa, I just made like 28 bucks. You know, if I do this like every day, I'd be making like a thousand dollars a month. You know, if I had like 10 of these, I could be making like 10,000. I mean, this is kind of where my mind went. And so that's what right. I did. And I was like, well, what else are people looking for? And so my entire business early on, well, it really started out as digital products, went to software, went to some physical products, but it was all just, what are people looking for that they can't right. find in any other place? And, you know, I, I tried to put it out there. Now that strategy today would never work because Amazon <laughs> did it better. But at right. the time it allowed me to uh, learn entrepreneurship, learn marketing and, um, and really make enough money to uh, not just pay my way through college, but to buy a ring for that girl uh, to ask her to marry me. And, you know, 20 years later, four kids later, here we are. So. Oh my gosh. That's, that's uh that's amazing. And especially during that period of time, I, I mean, I was trying to think back to where I was in, in 99 and I uh, <laughs> certainly wasn't even thinking about building a website. Uh, so it's crazy. The, there was a point in your journey where you found yourself and this is from the story that I've seen and, and looked up. So I want to hear more about the behind scenes of it, but you were $250,000 in debt and you were trying to figure out how to make it out of that. My, my question about that point in your story was how in the world did you mentally hold it together being $250,000 in debt? Like, like how do you get to that place and still be able to be sane in that moment? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, look, um, I, 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 I wasn't. I panicked. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I necessarily held it together. What I did is um, I benefited from being completely and totally deluded for a very long time about how <laughs> bad my financial situation was. Right. right. And then when it when it finally all hit me, yeah, I didn't deal with it particularly well. I'll, I'll tell you that whole story. But how we got there, I, I think, can be helpful. We'll give, give everybody some context. Yeah. So, you know, from basically from 99 to, you know, 2002, when I graduated, I was building a bunch of these little websites sure. and, and everything was organic search driven. Right. Wow. Everything was driven by organic search. It was just build a page, get it to rank in Google, whether it was lead generation, whatever. I was completely, I mean, it had to be legal and ethical, obviously, but I was all over the place. I mean, I had hundreds of these sites selling like hundreds of different things. And some of them were more affiliate related. So it's not like I had, you know, a whole lot of different stuff, but, but lots of them I owned, you know, lots of them I was doing direct lead generation deals with folks. I mean, it was a complicated mess, right? It was the, the perfect embodiment of my entrepreneurial ADHD, right? Chasing any little crazy, you know, thing I, I could chase, but it worked, right? And it worked because back then the internet was easy. Back then traffic was free or insanely cheap. Back then there just, there wasn't the competition that there was. But um, so, you know, I was planning on going and getting a job. I was like, I'm making so much money. Screw that. I'm just going to do this full time. And, and it worked. Um, and, it, and it continued to work until 2004. And then in 2004, Google did something. Um, they implemented what is now known as the Florida update. And those people who know, you know, their digital marketing history, certainly if you were a search marketer, you know, the Florida update. I mean, the Florida update was infamous. I mean, when this thing right. hit, it was a bombshell. It was Google's first major algorithm update. And the whole goal of this algorithm update was to get rid of all these junk sites, right? Oh Cause so many people were building so many junk sites. They'd sort of cracked their algorithm Yours, you know, truly, um, me included, and just overnight, their algorithm wiped out all of my sites. Now, wow. if I'm being honest, most of my websites deserve to be knocked out, right? They're pretty <laughs> junky sites, pretty spammy. They were designed only to get ranked and only to sell my stuff. They, they didn't deliver tremendous value for the, uh, for the customer, so I deserved it, right? Looking back on it, I deserved it. Google did the right thing for their customer. Um, I, I needed to better align and, you know, and serve them, so that was a good lesson learned. But all I knew at the time is, I was making a lot of money uh, one day when I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I was making nothing. Oh my. Right? And I was angry. I wasn't, I wasn't scared yet because I still had some cash in the bank. I wasn't scared yet, but I was mad. I was right. freaking pissed off. So that was the first way that I maybe dealt with it. I just got mad. And I was right. like, I'm not going to do this organic search anymore. Forget this. If they can change a couple algorithms and I'm gone, I'm not doing anymore. I'm going to master paid. I'm going to master paid traffic. I'm going to master online advertising. Well, here's the funny thing that I didn't click to at the time. What I basically said is screw you, Google. I'm not going to, you know, try to rank for, you know, your keywords anymore and get free traffic. Instead, I'm going to give you lots of money and buy traffic. Take that. Right. So in retrospect, kind of dumb acting like I was getting <laughs> one over on him, but I did decide like I need to shift my strategy. Organic right. is too risky. I bet if I just give them money, they'll give me traffic. Right. right. And so I shifted my entire strategy from, from organic to paid. And so from about 2004 to 2006, I devoted myself to the craft of digital advertising and specifically Google ads, what was then called right. Google AdWords. I wanted right. to crack the code. And uh, eventually I figured it out. By about 2006, right. I had kind of started to figure it out. The only problem was figuring it out cost me about a quarter million dollars. Oh my I mean, gosh. It, 
I had to tap every line of credit, everything to, to try to go. Cause I was trying everything. I was testing everything and I wasn't looking at my bank balances. Really. I wasn't looking at how much debt was accumulating. I knew it was bad. And so I didn't want to look at it, which right. is not as immature <laughs> decision you can make as a business owner. But I was right. like, look, it had always worked out for me in the past. I hadn't really experienced the true failure yet. So I hadn't been humbled. As far as I knew, I was God's gift to business and marketing. You know, right, welcome. right. I've got the Midas touch. Well, I remember I've, I was finally starting to feel like I had it figured out. I actually went to this conference. Um, so I'm at this conference in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I remember when I went to check in, um, my credit card uh, had declined. Like, so I went oh, to no. go put there like, oh, sorry, this didn't work. And tried another one. Like, oh, and I finally got one, got one to work. And I, I went and looked at it and uh, I realized I had insufficient funds in my bank account because it had drawn money out of my bank account to make a minimum payment on one of my credit cards. Wow. And so just the minimum payments alone had sucked my bank balance down to almost zero, just oh the minimum God. payment. So I'm looking at it. I've got almost no money left in my bank account, right? I still had some savings set back, thank God, but only enough to maybe get me through about a month of just paying my bills. Wow. Um, but almost no money in my uh, checking account. And when I did the math across, you know, four different credit cards and a line of credit, yeah, I owned right at about $250,000. Oh and um, so there I was, I wasn't at home. I was, I was at this event, um, learning how to do marketing um, and <laughs> sitting, you know, sitting at a bar at the Hilton Anatole in Dallas, Texas, feeling really, really, really sorry for myself. And yeah, I panicked. I mean, truly, I mean, I, I'm sitting there um, just, just wigging out. And thankfully though, in that moment, you know, sometimes when you're going through something like a conversation will pop into your head, yeah. right. Or just a memory will kind of pop in like seemingly from nowhere that happened. Um, I was sitting there and I remember having this conversation with a buddy of mine and we were just talking about how, isn't it interesting how all of the best business ideas were started on a napkin, right? There must be something magical about a napkin. And, right. Um, we just had a very brief conversation and then moved on with our lives. Well, that conversation popped um, into my head. And um, at, at that moment, I remember looking up and because I was sitting in a bar, sure enough, there was a stack of cocktail napkins in front of me. So I'm like, this is a sign. I grabbed a cocktail napkin. I borrowed a pen. And I just remember looking at the pen and looking at the napkin and saying, okay, this is it. Obviously, I've made things too complicated. So <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to make myself a deal. If I can sit here. And before I either get too sleepy or too intoxicated, if I can actually write on this napkin how my business works, right? What I'm doing that actually works. Because again, I was trying everything. I was frailing right. like a madman. If I can write down what actually works, if I look at it, then, then I'm going to just, I'm going to wake up the next morning. I'm going to do what I can to, to try to buy myself some time from a financial standpoint. And then I'm just going to work this napkin plan until I dig myself out of this hole. Right. Right. I'm just going to work this plan and only this plan. And if I can't, then I'm going to wake up the next morning. I'm going to declare uh, bankruptcy and see if I can get uh, a job somewhere. Wow. And those were the stakes. Yeah. And, and so how did I get through it? Um, I got angry and then I made a plan and I, I made myself a deal. And I was like, um, I only get despair when I when I don't have when I don't know what I'm going to do. Right. I think it's why having good mentors and good friends is so important. Right. Because oh if you get somebody yeah. with an outside perspective who can say, look, this is what you need to do, then you've got a reason to hope. Right. 
things are bad and you don't know what to do to fix it, that's when despair happens. So yeah, I got pissed oh, yeah. off and then I made a plan. That was that was, I guess, how I kept what sliver of sanity I had left. <laughs> I mean, what you it's perfect segue into my next question because you said having a, a mentor, it, it changes everything. And and honestly, uh, you know, you've come into my world numerous times over the last oh gosh, maybe 10 years. And and each time a little bit more, I was able to see you, which is kind of a funny thing to say. But like, I, I know now looking back that in the beginning, it's like, I, I know I saw you. I have emails to represent that, but I couldn't see you and, and I couldn't comprehend it. And this most recent time, about a year ago, finally, I could see you and hear you and uh, and you and our other our other friend, Mr. Roland, you know, changed my world and changed my perspective on how I had just been living and acting in business for all these years. And all of a sudden it started to come clear and, and really huge kudos to you. You guys have been incredible mentors. Um, but who have been the mentors in marketing and business that you've looked up to most on your journey? I mean, you've been on this crazy journey for such a long time. Who, who would those be? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit ashamed to admit that it took me way too long to, to learn the value of, of good mentorship and, and, of, and, and of good like peer masterminds. Um, in that moment, in that time, I was alone, right? And I'm very right. thankful that I recalled back to a conversation with a peer, right? Because that saved me, you know, in that time. Um, and, and to have to go through that and struggle through that alone and to figure it out yourself you know, I, I got, I got lucky. And I mean, there was enough floating around in the back of my head to be able to piece some things together and um, to make a plan and, and to only work that plan. I mean, I was so scared that it was a focusing function and yeah, I mean, the, the long story short is I did dig myself out of the hole. I did work that plan. That was the first year I generated a million dollars in revenue. I paid off all of the debt. I got some stuff going and then I was like, okay, I got a, I got another shot here. I got right. another chance. And that's when I said, I need uh, I need a mentor. And, and so for me, my early mentors were were from books, right? Books right. that I was reading. And one of my early mentors in the marketing space was Dan Kennedy, right? Reading yeah. Dan Kennedy's books. And um, and so I looked up and I actively sought out, when is Dan doing an event? And um, and Dan just happened to be doing an event like in a couple months. So I bought a ticket to the event and I said, I I'm going to go to this event for the express purpose of like hiring him as a consultant, a mentor, whatever it is. Like that was the only reason I went to the event, not exaggerating. Right. And I remember right. getting on the plane to go to the event, feeling like, like, oh, I'm a little like sniffly. Like, I don't really know what's wrong. I'm not, I'm not feeling great. Like, oh, I hope I'm not sick. By the time I land, I'm like sweating, feeling like garbage. I go and check into the hotel and I'm like one eyes half closed. And, you know, I go up to the room and take a shower and it's like, I'm, you know, got a fever. It's like, what am I oh going to do? Gosh. And so I slept the entire first day of the event. Oh, tried no. to go down halfway, was still so sick. I had to go back up to the room. And the third day I came down, I was like, I've missed the entire event, but I want to sign up for, you know, Dan's coaching mastermind program. I'm like, well, Dan's not doing one, but his business partner, Bill Glazer, is, is uh, launching a mastermind. And um, I was like, sign me up. They're like, well, you have to apply. And so I remember filling out the application and going back to bed. I never went to the event. I never met anybody there. Didn't sit in the single session because I knew I just needed to be a part of something because I didn't want to be alone again. And right. um, I remember uh, Bill Glazer calling me up 
um, to follow up, like essentially interviewing me, like, would I be a fit for this? Cause he had never heard of me. I was young. I, you know, my business was okay, but not, not great. Right. And he asked me, he said, um, he said, so why do you want to be in this mastermind? And I said, honestly, um, I need accountability, right? I don't know what I don't know. And all I know is I just screwed a lot of stuff up. I got myself in a deep hole and I just clawed my way back out of that hole. And I never want to go in another hole like that again. And I right. know the only way, like I got in that hole cause I, I made mistakes. I didn't even know I was capable of making. Cause I didn't know that I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> and he said, he's like, look, you know, your revenue isn't quite where it needs to be to qualify for this, uh, for this group. But based on your answer, he's like, I'm going to put you in. Um, now knowing what I know about Bill, Bill would have let me in no matter what, cause it was the first year of a mastermind and he would have taken just about <laughs> anybody who could fog him. Right. But, um, long winded way of saying Bill Glazer without a doubt was my, my first mentor. Um, wow. and, and Bill invested in me and, and, you know, poured into me and, you know, would, would ask the right questions and, Hey, have you thought about, you know, this and, and it wasn't just marketing stuff. It was like real business stuff, right? That was when right. I first started learning like real business stuff, like hiring, you know, basic cash flow, um, you know, maintenance, uh, like making sure I'm setting aside money for taxes, which is another story. Cause I got and dug myself into another hole when I didn't do that and had to get Bill's help. Like, how do I navigate this thing? And so, wow. you know, so I was very, very fortunate, um, that, uh, that I had Bill, you know, sadly Bill's had some health, health struggles and, um, sure. health challenges, but, but Bill Glazer without a doubt was my first mentor. Uh, another one, um, Roy Williams, who, uh, wrote, uh, books, the wizard of ads. Um, right. I was an, an admirer of his work for a long time. Turned out his campus, like wizard Academy, uh, was just down the street from my house. Uh, oh, so, so much of this stuff, man, I've just been blessed by serendipity. Um, but yeah, those, those two, uh, those two men right there were probably my top mentors, but have had some amazing business partners along the way. It was Perry Belcher, Roland Frazier. Um, I've benefited from the masterminds that we've run and the people who are in those groups. So I've just been I've just been blessed. I mean, I've, I've just been able to be in the right rooms. And that's what I right. say to people. Like, just get in the freaking room. That is, yeah. that is the number one advice I'd give to any business owner. You cannot do this thing alone. It's such a lonely business. You've got to get in the rooms, whatever that looks like. But yeah, that's those two, those two men are the ones that immediately popped to mind. Wow. Yeah. I mean, being in the room is, is huge. And you mentioned just before about, having some great partners. And I know that for a lot of people, part getting a partner or having a partner is kind of a challenging affair, right? How have you come to choose a partner in business and, and choose your partners in business? Because a lot of people like have sworn it off. I'm not going to do any partners anymore. I'm not doing that. But yet I know, and I've heard from you even that having a partner, it, it can be the thing that is, is the thing. So have you chosen your partners? Yeah. I mean, I think, some, look, I think, I think you need to know if you're a partner person or if you're not a partner person. <laughs> right. um, and I think some people are not partner people. They really aren't. Right. They, they need, they, they need to go it alone. Like they've got this, this crystal clear vision and they don't want to hear anybody question that vision, right? It is, it is about this vision. They're going to execute it fully, completely. And they want to own every, every little aspect of it. And, and so not everybody is really partner material. Right. Right. And so for me, um, I think it's a couple of things like why I've always sought out partners. There's always been more things I wanted to do than I knew I could do on my own. Right. So that's kind of the first thing. Like I love the game of business. And so I right. want to try a bunch of different things. And so it's physically impossible for me to do everything I want to do by myself. So I always knew I needed to, to, 
do things with business partners, I'm also keenly aware of stuff that I'm good at and stuff that I'm not. And I've always wanted to focus on the things that I'm good at and not have to, you know, figure out the things I'm not good at. So to answer your question, I mean, the way that you choose a partner is you got to be really clear on what it is that you want to do and, and the, the specific things that, that need to be brought together to get it done. And then of those right. things, what are you good at? And those things, what are you not good at? And I think it's really important all too often people seek out partners who are just friends, people that are just like them. Those are going to be the worst business partners in the world. Right. Right. And I've had some business partners like, like that people that I love, that I respect people I think are brilliant, but we're good at the same stuff. And as a result, we would always fight over things. And, right. and ultimately we, we'd fight over things that we were good at because we'd each want to have our own way. And really we're arguing over like around the edges. Right. Right. We'd agree on 99% and then spend a bunch of time wasting on one to 2% of it. Right. Cause <laughs> that's our ego. Right. Like, cause that's, that's my thing. Um, and all the crap that, that, should have been getting done. There was nobody to do it because neither of right. us wanted to do that. So I think you need in, in partnership, you need to be clear on um, what does the team need to look like? And, um, and, and there needs to be a clear division of labor and it doesn't right. always have to be um, an equity partner. Right. Uh, I've known people who've gotten this done very, very effectively with teams, but, um, but, but for me, I really enjoy building something with someone else. Right. Uh, that, that is what I love doing. And, and so I just think it's more fun to do it, to do this stuff with teams. But again, I know people who feel completely the opposite. They want to, they're lone wolves and they want to have their own thing. Um, and I think that's fine too. So understanding your mentality, but for me, I'm a smaller piece of a bigger pie kind of guy. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm excited to, I want to have shared experiences with people. Um, I like to spread the risk around a little bit too and make sure that <laughs> right. Um, maybe it's from having a massive colossal failure so early that I, you know, I want to make sure that there's somebody else there to, you know, who's got my back. But I do right. think when you're picking a partner, um, there needs to be a clear division of labor. Um, the, the skill set needs to be complementary, meaning right. there's not a direct overlap, but the most important thing is there's gotta be alignment of values. Right. There's gotta be some kind of alignment of values. And it doesn't mean that you both have to be practicing exactly the same religion or something like that. Um, <laughs> it means that like, you know, if I say like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to do this. Cause, cause I'm, you know, my, my kid's got a dance recital, you know, I don't have a business partner. It's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's like, no, no, we both value family. Right. Right. So you need that there. Um, I mean, there's permission to play. Like we're obviously not going to steal. Right. Hopefully that goes without saying, but it just goes into what are the things that you value, like your core values as a person, somebody else doesn't have to share them to the same extent, but they can't, they can't be opposite of those. Like they have to right. at least appreciate that you have them understand them. Uh, but if you've got a clear division of labor, if you understand that you're a partnership person and you've got alignment of values, then, then I think you can probably have a solid business partner. I love that. You know, you've done so many different things. You've built so many things. You've taught so many of us how to do it as well and how to create things that work. You know, being an entrepreneur today, what, what's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur today where you're at and what's your least favorite thing of, of where you're at? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so it's funny. I like the zero to one aspect of entrepreneur, like coming up with that brand new concept, right? right? That, 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 that earliest little spark um, of innovation and invention. Like to me, that's where I really, really, really enjoy that. Right. Um, and then I also love 
the like, you know, 10 to 100. So I like right. the scaling of it once it's figured out. One to 10, right? So in my mind, there's like zero to one, there's one to yeah. 10, and there's 10 to 100, right? right? I love zero to one. But once it's working, right, and now it's the time to pull together, you know, okay, we need to get this person, we need to get this resource, and now we're, we're going to begin to, you know, to begin to really figure stuff out and, and get it built and pushed and driven. Ah, I don't like that as much. Like in my, in my head, it's like, it's a good idea to just work, which is never how it goes. And I know that, but it's like, <laughs> it's like the drudgery of it all. Um, and thankfully, again, I've got a business partner in Richard Linder who he loves the one to 10. He's like, cool, we right. got to prove a concept. Let me get in the trenches and let me get my hands dirty and let me pull things together and let us figure it out. Right. right. So he will do that. Now, once we're at 10 and it's going, I really love coming back in and systemizing things. Yeah. So I love the the systems side of it, right? I love being able to say, okay, this is how it's working. You know, now what's the napkin? I go all the yeah. way back to the napkin, right? What is the napkin for this little thing? Can I can I can I take it? Can I distill it? Can I systemize it? Um, simplify it onto an area so that it can now scale beyond the people that are there. So I like zero to one. I like ten to hundred. I don't really like one to ten. Right. Right. You've built so many things like you've got i just you know anybody that that digs into your rabbit hole we can find so much books and courses and incredible things that you've taught us what's what would you say is your favorite thing that you've created through all these years i love i mean it's always the thing i'm doing now right answer that question but like that's my thing is is I want to work on the stuff that I want to work on. And when I'm right. working on it in the moment is my favorite thing. And when it stops being my favorite thing, I go and do something else. And I want right. somebody else to go and run that thing or we can sell it, right? Um, I'm an incredibly devoted husband and father. Um, I, as if I were, if my, if my companies were parent, if, I, if, if my companies were my children, I'd be a bad dad, right? Because it's like, <laughs> I like you at this age and then you're done, right? Um, I don't feel that way about my wife and my children, but, but about companies I do, right? To me, it's, it's the game. It's fun. I, I probably would have been far more successful financially if I would have right. picked something um, and just really ran with that thing and only that thing and had just ultra focus. Probably would have been more successful, but wouldn't have had as much fun. And right. it's not what I'm you know, best at because certainly in the early days, um, you know, I, I know that by getting distracted, I let great business ideas die on the vine, you know, that would have been amazing. Cause I didn't know then how to bring in a partner, you know, an right. operator. I didn't know how to, how to do a team, how to go and, you know, capitalize that so that it could go and truly run on its own. And I could, it just sort of withered. Right. right. Um, that was stupid. And I did a lot of that. Right. So uh, my, I mean, my favorite thing today, I love what we're doing at scalable at the scalable company. So our, yeah. our newest, um, because I'm taking all of those learnings over the years and I'm, I'm systemizing them. Right. right. And, and so it's, it's fun for me because it's, what are all those mistakes that I made? What are the wins that I had? What are the hard lessons learned? How do we now put these into, into frameworks that are transferable to other business owners? And, and right. what it gives me the opportunity to do is work with my favorite people in the world who are entrepreneurs. Um, right. And then, you know, Roland and I, obviously we have Epic Network and right. the investing that we do. And so in helping these entrepreneurs, in engaging and interacting with these entrepreneurs through the scalable company and through, you know, our mastermind founders board. Um, we just get to get deep into these businesses and into these entrepreneurs lives. And we're kind of getting paid to do due diligence. 
Because right. what do we ultimately want to do? Well, ultimately, we want to do equity deals. We want to buy out right. companies, partner with companies, you know, build a portfolio of businesses. I want to do what I did back in college where I had all these you know, hundreds of websites, but I want right. to be hundreds of companies run by really competent people in our portfolio. And, and yeah. so that's what we're doing. Um, and I love that we're sort of building the, the feeder for it by helping entrepreneurs. And, um, and, and that to me is the most fun of all. So. I love it. I, I I particularly love when I'm out and about in the industry and I hear somebody uh, teaching or talking about something as if it was their own. And I know it came from you. And I love it. I just I think it's really great. I mean, what a what a cool thing to have had generations of business people teaching the stuff that you taught and uh, and and to know that you did that. I mean, it's not it's not always fun. Sometimes you want the credit for it too, but but you've well, look, influenced Undoubtedly, I learned it from somebody else, right? There's nothing <laughs> you understand. So it's undoubtedly, I, I remember, I don't remember the specific book it was, but I, I thought I had come up with something really clever, right? <laughs> um, and, I, and I remember going back because I, I love to reread books and things like that that are, that are great. And I remember reading this chapter and picking it up and there it was. Right. And this thing I thought was so freaking clever was in this book I'd read like four or five years before just sitting back, you know, <laughs> flopped in there. So, you know, it, it's hard when people use like your exact trademarked phrases and things like that. It's like, OK, come on. But concepts and things like that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and humbled. And, um, you know, in general, I, I'm sure I've done it to other people unintentionally a time or two. as well. <laughs> yeah, I definitely sure. have. If, you, if you're around long enough and you put enough stuff out there, you're going to get knocked off. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What advice would you give to that entrepreneur that's out there that's struggling, maybe in debt like you were at that one point in time, trying to keep their business going, especially after the pandemic, a new recession, you know, being touted that's coming? What would you tell them in terms of helping them to keep going? Well, I mean, it sounds simple. Becoming a master of cash flow is something that not enough entrepreneurs really desire to, to understand, right? Right. Most entrepreneurs, myself included, because look, my, my first love is marketing, right? And I still largely consider myself to be a marketer, you know, to this day, even though my team doesn't let me have access to any of the Google accounts or Facebook accounts anymore. Cause I go in there and <laughs> tinker and break stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, with a marketing background, you know, I always believed that, I could sell myself out of, sell my way out of just about any jam. And, um, right. and it's true to a certain extent, right? Um, sales will fix almost any business problem, almost any problem, but at right. some point it gets exhausting, right? And at some right. point you do run out of ideas. And at some point you got to figure out how do we get some of this money to drop to the bottom line? And so right. when I got into that deep hole, what I did is I said, okay, how much money am I making? How much money am I making? Like just if I, uh, let, let's get real. Let's do business with reality, okay? How much freaking money am I making that's coming in on a regular predictable basis? Not how much do I hope, how much I'm actually making. Okay, now I'm gonna say 20% of this has to be profit. I'm going to force profitability. Now right. with what is left over, how much can I spend on things and where do I wanna start making cuts? And I'll tell you, it is one of the most brutal exercises to make, but if somebody's struck, stuck, if somebody's struggling, it is what you have to do. And you don't want to wait until you're in the position I am where it's forced upon you, where you literally have no right. choice. That month that when I realized that I was a quarter million dollars in debt and had no cash in my checking account, so I literally had to pull what little I had in my savings into my checking just to make sure I could 
pay like the mortgage and the other bills that came out automatically, that month I had no choice but to be profitable, period. Right. I had no choice. It had to happen. Like, so who was going to not get paid? Like, I have to get paid, right? right. First, I, I have to. Because if, if, if not me, like, I paid everybody else before me for too long. And, right. and now, like, I'm about to go down and they're all going to go down with me. So I got to get paid. I got to eat food. I got to provide right. for these people. So there's me. I'm number one, right? I'm going to put some money aside for the tax man, okay? Because they've got missiles. You don't screw with them. <laughs> so now, what's left over? This is what we get to spend. Now, a lot right. of people will immediately cut the advertising and the marketing. Be really, really careful with that because um, oftentimes you cut the advertising, the marketing, and you also cut all those pesky new customers that are coming in. But oh it is worth God. looking at your ad spend and saying, well, what channels are giving a not just a, a good ROI, but a quick return on ad spend? So very often we will look at the different channels and be like, oh, this one gets me a three to one ROI. This one gets me a this. Okay, ROI, return on investment, but over what period of time? Right. Some channels might give you return on investment over four months. We can't afford to right. wait that long. So go to all your channels and stack rank, not based on return on investment, but based on recovery time. Right. Right. How long does it take you? If you put a dollar into this channel, how long does it take you to come back? That's right. the secret, by the way, of low margin companies. Right. right. How does Costco make billions of dollars on like razor thin margins? It's because their turn is so fast. So if right. I only make a 2% margin on this item, but I turn it 15 times in a month, right? Well, that's a lot of money. Whereas right. if I make a 30% return on this particular item, but I only sell, you know, one, you know, one or two a year. Well, if you project out through the year, the, the low margin item was better because you turned it more. The same is true right. for ad spend. You got to look really closely at people, right? Yeah. You got to look really overhead walks on two legs. Um, the biggest mistakes I've made is when things got difficult and complicated, I threw human beings at the problem. Oh, it's like, Hey, here's a problem that I couldn't solve myself. I'm pretty smart. I've got all the context. I couldn't figure it out. So maybe I should take this total stranger who doesn't have any context, throw them at it. And hopefully they can figure it out for me. They never do. Okay. All they do is add more complexity and cost you more money. And you do this right. over enough time and it goes. And so I've had to walk into buildings before whole buildings and let everybody know that I had failed. And because of that, their next paycheck was going to be their last one. Wow. Man, that sucks. That sucks. That freaking sucks. And it, it sucks for you, but you know what? It sucks worse for them because you still got right. a job and they don't. So I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. And um, I remember my wife was like, yeah, but I mean, at least you still have a job. Like they don't like that's a really good. Point. Right. So you have to, if, if you are in that situation, uh, denial is not your friend. You have to get, um, very, very real. This is war, right? It, you got to become a wartime CEO and you got to right. make the difficult choices. And, and sometimes right. the difficult choice that you have to make is um, we don't have enough dry powder. We right. can't do it. And sometimes retreat is your only option. And sometimes you have to say, we got to shut it down. We got to right. shut it down and I need to go and get a job. I need to go do some consulting. I need to go do whatever I need to do to make the money to keep this thing going or not shut it down, come back and try again. Uh, and I'll tell right. you, there's no shame in shutting something down and coming back and trying again. It's only, there's only shame if you fail and you decide as a result of a fail of a singular failure that you yourself are a failure. Um, so right. I would absolutely leave failure as an option. I did. If I can't yeah. do these things, then I will quit. I'll come back and try again. Right. I'll come back right. and try again, but failure is a freaking option. Right. And so acknowledge that do business with that reality and say it is an option it's not an option i want to take therefore what must happen so that it, i don't have to take that option 
Yeah, if right. you're struggling, that's all you can do. It sucks. I feel for you. I do. I've been there myself a number of times. Um, there is light on the other side. I love that. I know that's going to help so many people. Uh, and especially, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the uh, media's reality. And and in <clears throat> light of being an entrepreneur, we have to kind of be careful with that because there's just so much more going on <laughs> for us as entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah, please don't, please know. don't allow anything in the media to dictate anything about your psychology. Um, yeah. I mean, please don't do that. I'm not saying don't educate yourself on what's going on in the world, but just know that they're in business too. And their right. business is your attention and simply reporting facts does not gather, not does not sexy. garner attention. Come on. <laughs> you know, we're marketers, they're marketers. I mean, I respect the game that they're playing, but like, right. Let's not pretend like they're running clickbait and all their other stuff too. Um, so yeah, please stop. If you're an entrepreneur, please don't watch the news on a regular yeah, basis. For sure. Turn that crap off. Turn that crap off. Listen to your customers. Go talk to your customers. Whatever time right. you're spending watching the news or consuming media, talk to your customers. I can't tell you how many times um, I had a business or a, or a product. Is even a particular product that I thought was was a failure, a dud. Um, right. Talk to the people who bought it, who were getting value from it, and we just completely misplaced the benefit. Like the reason right. that we thought people would buy, they bought it for a totally different reason. Right. Changed up the messaging and the languaging. What do you know? It's a winner. I, I never would have thought about it myself, but I talked to customers. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> so if you're in a hole, turn off social media, turn off TV, start phone, literally call your customer. Say, hey, you did this. Right. I'm just trying to interview and try to talk to 30 of them. If you talk to 30 of them, you'll actually figure out some trends. And right. um and you'll hear some words that'll inform some messaging uh, that'll breathe new life into your, into your offers. But I love that. I love that guys. There's so many cool things you can get from Ryan and all of his teachings. And I mean, it's going to be literally impossible for you to look him up and not find a hundred things that you could, you could do with him and learn from him right now. But Ryan, what, would you direct somebody to right now? You know, you're talking about your favorite thing is the thing you're doing now. So direct our audience towards what you're up to now that they can get uh, in connection with you and learn more and, and really consume what you're doing. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, if, if you're in those early stages um, of business, certainly if you're, you know, sub six figures, and even if you're kind of the, you know, mid six figures, not quite, you know, breaking through to that seven figure level, the only thing you need to be focused on right now is growth right? Sales right. and marketing, just grow. Like that's, that's it. Just, just do that. Don't, I mean, yeah, pay your bills and your taxes and all that other stuff, but, but don't right. overcomplicate this stuff. Right. Right. Focus on growth at digital marketer. That's what we're all about, right? Growth and yes. marketing. And so digitalmarketer.com, if you're in that phase, when you get above seven figures, it's time to shift a little bit uh, from just pure growth into, all right, we need to start thinking in terms of systems and operations. Right. Um, you can grow yourself into failure. I had a company that was on the Inc 500 list. Um, and uh, within two months of the magazine dropping, we had to lay off 70% of the staff oh. because all we focused on was growth. And it turned out we were losing money. Right. right. And nobody bothered to check. And we had bad systems, bad, wow. bad, everything across the board. And so, um, so yeah, so you need to, you need to start setting systems in place so that you can scale profitably. And that's so you can hopefully become exit able. doesn't mean you have to exit, but knowing that you can is a big difference. Um, sure. And it also makes you more valuable. Um, and okay. so scalable.co, scalable.co uh, is where we help those seven figure 
uh, entrepreneurs, uh, get to eight figures, get more scalable, get exitable. And so, yeah, check out what we have there. Subscribe to the newsletter. Um, check out the things we got. So. I love it. I love it. Well, I know I've said it a couple of times, but thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your influence in our journey. Uh, we are eternally grateful and uh, we appreciate you so much. I hope all of our audience goes and and starts to consume anything they can from you. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Uh, it's definitely uh, something that will change your life, change your world, change your perspective. And uh, that's what I hope for you. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining me today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again for having me. I've enjoyed it as well. Appreciate the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.